first week in this series, we talked about anxiety. You all remember that sermon? We talked about anxiety and how the odds are that anxiety is going to get you. And one of the things that we, we, we shared in that sermon was about how until Christ is all you need, you're, you're going to have constant anxiety. And last week we talked about truth and just this dynamic that we face in our world of what is really true? Where can we find truth? How do we know what's true? And last week we talked about how truth isn't really about a concept, it's about a person, it's about Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about this statement, I don't want to live in debt forever. Raise your hand if you want to live in debt till you die. Oh, there's a couple of us. Yes, give me debt until I die. We're going to have an altar call later for you, for you folks. Uh, but, but here's the odds in our nation today. 80% of adults, 80% of adults are under consumer debt right now. The average debt for the adult in the United States is not, not mortgage debt, not, fixed, not, not assets debt. No, consumer debt, things like credit cards, car payments, stuff like that. The average unsecured debt is $38,000 per adult. So that means if, if you're married and you each have $38,000 of unsecured debt, not talking about student loans, not talking about mortgages, that's over, that's, that's, that's 70 some thousand dollars worth of debt right there. And the summary of Jesus's teachings about money is this, don't let it control you. The, the, when you look at all the teachings that Jesus had about money, uh, he, he never said, he only said to one person to give your money away, but he never said you shouldn't have money. And he, ne he never said that you should just give it all away. He told one guy, the rich young ruler, pro probably a Gen Zer at the time. <laughs> he told one person that. But rather, you should learn how to manage and control your money because if you don't, you will be controlled by money. And some of you are like, Nate, we just did a whole series on generosity and money like a month ago. Are we really getting back into this? Well, we're getting back into this. Here's my only agenda today. We're looking at the dynamics and the odds of where we live and what goes on. And we can't, with any kind of integrity, approach things in our society and in our world without talking about money. So here's my only agenda today. I want to present the kingdom of God, which is the alternative way of living. Did you know that the kingdom of God living is weird? It's not normal. If normal is what most people do, the kingdom of God, the alternative way, is weird. Every week here in, these, in, in our church, we look at topics and themes in Scripture, and we, we really do a, do a we, we work hard to show how these ancient Scriptures apply to our current lives. And at the end of the day, in these services and in our worship together, you're either going to hear from God or you're not. You're either going to obey what he says or you won't. I can't convince you. I can't make you. But here's my conviction when it comes to preaching and especially when it comes to money. Here's my convictions. I have three of them. First conviction is this. I want to be free. I don't want to be controlled by money. How about, who, who wants to be free? You don't want to be controlled by money. I don't want to be controlled by money. 
Nobody wants to live under the chains of debt forever on the brink of financial disaster. Nobody has ever come to marriage counseling with me and said, you know what would really help our marriage is just, just be under some crushing debt. That's what we need today. Nobody has ever done that. That's my first conviction. I want to be free. My, my next conviction, because I am a follower of Jesus, is I want to be obedient. Followers of Jesus, do you want to be obedient? Anybody want to be obedient? Yeah, I want to be. More people want to be free than obedient. Did you know that obedience leads to freedom? <laughs> Admittedly, this is for the Jesus followers. We want to live in the kingdom of God way because we've seen how the kingdom of God way brings life. I want to be free. I want to live obedient. And I want to be generous. It is so much fun to give. If you've ever given and you... you you just get changed by it. Nobody wants to get to the end of their life and be known as Ebenezer Scrooge. It's fun to give. It's fun to watch somebody else being blessed because of the generosity. So let's talk about these things in depth. When we're looking at debt, when we're looking at money, let's look at these three things. The first, the first one is, I want to live free. I want to live freely. That that, that really means I want to live with a certain amount of margin. I want to live with margin. Margin is that extra space. Look around the room right now. Those of you that came here together are sitting more together. Go look around the room. You're sitting together. And those of you that didn't travel or live or you don't live with the people, look how far apart you're sitting from each other. That's called the margin. Looking up here at the front row between the Burtons and Shauna Drive. There's the margin. Looking over here in this section over here. I got the postings right here and nobody on the rest of the pew. What did you, do y'all stink? Did you just, you know, I don't know. <laughs> we like margin. It's, it's the same feeling that you get like when you're in a store and you're in line. Oh, or the, the, the worst for me is like when you're at an amusement park, like at Disney or something. And you're in the line or the queue, as, as like really refined people call it. And you're in line and, and you're behind someone and there's a gap between them and the people in front of them. And that gap keeps getting long and they just keep talking and they're not paying attention. Am I the only weird person in here that just wants to be like, would y'all, would y'all fill in the gap? Fill in the, you know, we get this space, we get this margin. We like elbow room. We like margin on airplanes. If you've ever flown southwest, you've played the game where you just make yourself larger in the seat so nobody will sit beside of you. Or you put your carry-on in the seat beside of you, making people think that it's saved and you get called down by the flight attendants. Just me, okay. <laughs> I'll never forget coming back. I was coming, I'd been on a mission trip, and I was coming back to the States, and I had a, a, an 11-hour flight. And I'll never forget the angelic voice of the British Airways person that called my name. And I came up to, I didn't know it was angelic at first, but I came up to the counter and she looked at me and she said, you're eligible for an upgrade. Would you like an upgrade? It was like, <laughs> upgrade, tell me what you mean. I've only known coach, economy, the slums, <laughs> where you have your seat and the seat of seven other people around you, and you just get comfortable together, and you smell like each other by the end of the long flight. 
Because on the way there, that's how it went. And I remember praying, dear Jesus, please let there be open seats around me. And then people sat down beside me and I went, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? (laughs) And on the way back, this miracle woman from God says, you are eligible for an upgrade. A premium economy upgrade. Not a business class, I don't fly that much, but a premium economy upgrade. You know what that meant? That meant a wider leather seat. Not whatever material that you get back in the slums. Leather, wider, more legroom. This seat actually reclined, and you could put your feet out at least like four inches. It was amazing. They gave mimosas. I didn't have one. But you could sleep. It was wonderful. I was flying home that day in premium economy. I had margin around it. We like extra. Spread out. It's the weird person that comes into the movie theater when there's no other seats like filled, and they sit right beside of you and they don't know you. That's, that's a weird, if you're going to a movie theater and there's other people there, but there are plenty of seats, do not sit beside somebody you don't know. Don't do it. That's weird. When it comes to the important things in life, we tend to pack them full though. When it comes to the important things of life, things like time and money, we tend to overcommit and overspend. We'll spend everything we have and we'll live on the edge of business or financial ruin. Proverbs 21, 20, the writer says this, the wise man saves for the future, the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And I can hear your pushback, Nate. I'm going to need to win the lottery if I'm going to have margin. Like the expenses are too much. Have you seen inflation? Have you seen the cost of gas? Have you seen this? Have you seen what's going on around me? The the external circumstance, there is no way I can live with, with, with any kind of financial margin. And I'm lovingly pushed back on you. I loving, I know there are exceptions, but for the most part, I lovingly push back and I say, listen, if you don't believe you can live life with any margin, you've bought into a lie. You've believed a lie. Margin has nothing to do with what I have. It has everything to do with what's being spent. You can have margin if you're pulling in $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year. It's not so much about income. It's about lifestyle. Income is important, very important. But so are expenses. Remember what Proverbs said, it's the fool who spends all that he has. There's a formula that that we've lived by in our family, and I heard it when I was a teenager, and I heard pastors use it, and I heard college professors, and I heard mentors use it, and I'm just passing it on to you. Here's the formula. And I realize that I'm not normal when it comes to money. And some of you, when you see this formula, you're going to want to laugh, you're going to want to poke fun, but I'm here to tell you that that if if you go by this thing, it really does work. Here's here's the way we normally spend money. It looks like this. Normal money management looks like this. I spend 98% of what I have. I save 2% of what I have. And I give 2% of what I have. Does anybody see the problem yet? What does that add up to? Somebody say 403? Come on, Albemarle. (laughs) What does that add up to? 102. 102%. That is normal. That is normal. Because most people give. Most people save a little bit. 
Most people spend way more than they give or they save. Here's the not normal money management that, I'm, that I want to just have you think about. Instead of starting with spending, let's start with giving. Giving 10%, saving 10%, spending 80%. That, that is weird. Like you spend way like 20% less than what you make. So if you make $1,000 a month, which... If you're making $1,000 a month, see us. There are resources in the county. You can't survive in Stanley County on $1,000 a month. We can help you. But just using big numbers here, if you make $1,000, that means that you're only spending $800 on yourself. That's on debt. That's on groceries. That's on living. And you're giving $100, and you're saving $100. See, when you live with no margin... You rob the future. You rob your savings. And you also rob yourself. You rob yourself because you, when you spend all that you have, you do not get the joy of giving because you don't have the ability to give. And it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of work to live this way, especially if you're currently spending 98%. This is something I'm going to tell you, that, that in my early 20s, when, when, when Shauna and I got married, we, we prioritized the giving and we prioritized some of the saving. We, we, we're doing a little bit better at it these days, 20 years in. Yeah. We're a little bit better at it. But I'm telling you, if you're, if you're coming into this thing and you're already spending 98%, I get it. It seems completely impossible. You, you are at your wits. It takes a lot of discipline, and you'll feel like you're behind everybody else. I remember, I remember like our first year of marriage in the apartment that we lived in, and I look back at it, and I'm like, man, that was cheap. Man, we, 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 I think we paid $5.25 a month for that apartment. Two bedrooms, two baths. It was awesome. It was cheap. I remember, like, Shauna was working at Cracker Barrel when we first got married, and I was this new youth pastor at a church in town. You know what? If you're going to live saving 10%, giving 10%, spending 80%, your dates might look a lot more like eating sandwiches at home than setting up a reservation at the new wood fire pizza place. You, it may look like you, you make your own coffee most days rather than going through and getting the $6 latte every day. And here's why. Because everybody else is living off 102% of their income. And to this day, we're not perfect at this, but Shauna and I are still making lifestyle decisions. Shauna drives a beautiful, nearly 10-year-old Honda CRV, and it's paid off. Hallelujah to Jesus. It is sexy because it is paid off. I drive an immaculate, pristine 2009 GMC Sierra with a Wiley Coyote decal where somebody hit me on my back fender. And it's paid off to the glory of God. Do you know that the average car loan for a new car is over $700 a month? For a used car, it's over $500 a month. If we both had new cars, that would be $1,400 a month just in car payments. If we had used cars, we're looking at 1000 
we, we, we are able because we still make lifestyle decisions because we drive grocery getters and we're totally fine with it. I could care less about impressing the other pastors in town with my vehicle. But we're able to give more because of stuff like that. We're able to be more generous. We're able to save more because of stuff like that. Could you use an extra $1,400 a month? Yeah. We, we, we give generously and tithe and with the hope funds and to the missionaries and the nonprofits. And I understand how some of you are like, I could never do this. But I've seen dozens of people in our church make decisions. Not easy changes, but they made lifestyle changes. And now they're living debt free. Now they're living with margin in what they have because they're, they're not having every meal delivered to their home every more, anymore. They're, they're no longer going out and just dropping cash or credit cards on things that they must have right now. They've, it takes discipline. And you know what? You, you might end up driving a, a grocery getter or a hoopty car. But can I tell you that it's worth it? I've watched my friends in this church go through a program we have called Financial Peace University. And I see people struggling, getting out of debt and getting ahead. And, and they've cut their credit cards up. They've sold big cars. And they're, they're living more free today than they've ever lived. See, God doesn't need your money. This is not a sermon about you've got to give God all your money. He really doesn't even want your money because he's God. And he owns it all anyway. It's like your toddler, like, wanting that fire truck in the house and nobody else can have it. You're like, that's yours. God doesn't need our money. But he wants you to live with margin because it's a better way to live. I want to live freely. I want you to live freely. We can't live in any kind of freedom when we are slaves to an owner. When we're slaves to our debt. Now, for all of us who are followers of Jesus, this next one, the second one is huge. I want to live obediently. Living obediently. Say living obediently. That means this. We are managers, not owners. Managers, not owners. I'll never forget sitting in church and sitting beside someone when I was in my early 20s. And I did something that you should not do at church. First of all, I was sitting too close to this person because... Uh, we, we, we didn't come from the same household and we weren't like, you know, good friends at the time, but it came to the offering time in the service. You know how the offering time in the service is, right? We had one of those earlier today and I looked over and I watched her write a check. Now, for those of you who don't know what a check is, a check is a piece of paper where you promise to pay a certain amount of money and it hits your bank account. I know that sounds ridiculous. Not many people use them anymore, but back in the old days, this was used all the time. Okay, whatever. I watched this person fill out the check, and I, I watched the amount of money she wrote on the check. You should never do this. But I watched it, and I was like, my God, that's so much money. How is she giving that much money? I saw, she was older than me. She was right out, and I was like, I remember sitting there like, I think I would given like $20 over the past year as an early 20-something in church. And I remember sitting there and just being like, what is it like to live to where you could give like that? 
That's amazing. See, people that feel like they own everything, they, they can't think that way. We, people that feel like they own everything or that everything, you know, I've got, I've earned, and it's mine, and I'm holding on to it, we, 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 we are incapable of thinking in a different way. See, if you wake up in the morning at 5 a.m. and you're like, I'm getting up because I work hard for all this stuff and I've got to keep it. I sit in traffic. I put up with my boss. I get it. I get it that you work hard. But look at this warning that God gives in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at this. It says this. It says, if you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this. And all by myself. I'm rich. It's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God. You're God. Gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors as it is today. Here's the reminder. God, the God that created you, the God that helped you make that connection to land the job, the God that helped you fill out the application and have, have the background to get into that school, the God that's got air in your, that put air in your lungs this morning. Everything you have is a gift from God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever feel like you were owed something or that it's all yours. If you're a follower of Jesus, this will lead you into sin so fast. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of riches, the love of wealth, the love of not enough. Gotta have more. King David said this, wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand and at your discretion. People are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have comes from you and we give you only what you first gave us. That is, that is a heart of giving. That is a heart of obedience. And here's the question I have for you. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, have you settled the ownership issue? Do you see everything that you earn and everything that you have as yours alone? Or is everything that you've been given part of you being a blessing from God? to others it's it's not all yours but it is yours to steward it well and if everything you have just comes back to benefiting you you're in you're in danger you're in danger of what scripture is talking about here of thinking that i own it all and when we think that way god's not in the right place in our lives we're not in submission so I want to be free. I want to live obediently. The last thing is this, I want to live generously. Not everything that comes to me is for me. I want to live generously. Story about a, a, a lady who buys her favorite uh, bag of candy, double stuffed Oreos. Any double stuffed Oreo fans in the house? Yes, glory to the Lamb. I have petitioned that we trade those out for the bread and communion. I was told that was sacrilegious. I don't believe it. I'm kidding. 
This lady is at the airport. She's got a bag of double-stuffed Oreos. She sits beside the... You know how it is sometimes when you're, when, you're, when you're on public transportation, there's only like one seat, and it's in between a lot of people you don't know. So she sits in the seat before boarding, and this dude reaches into a bag of... into this bag of double-stuffed Oreos and takes one and puts it in his mouth and just starts eating it. And she tries to get his attention. She reaches in the, her bag of Oreos. She gets it. She makes eye contact with him and eats it. And he smiles at her. And they go back and forth eating from this bag of Oreos. He smiles. And, and it comes down to the last Oreo. And he audaciously reaches in and gets the last Oreo, halves it, and gives her the half with the cream. And she takes it, and she... she she is madder than a fat guy at a buffet that has closed down. <laughs> and she's just staring at him. And he stands up and he walks away. And she's sitting there and she can't believe it. And she brings her purse on her lap and she opens her purse and there she sees her bag of double stuff Oreo cookies. Not only... Was he not eating her Oreos? She was eating his. And we all have Oreos. Some of us have a lot of Oreos. But the question the Bible asks us over and over and over again is that it, it isn't about what you have, but it's about how you share what you have. Look at the book of Luke chapter 12. It says this. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest of Oreos. Oh, it's the NIV, that's why. <clears throat> he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my Oreos. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my surplus Oreos. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of Oreos laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Does this mean that we shouldn't save? No, this does not mean that we shouldn't save. What this means is that we shouldn't hoard. We shouldn't build up for ourselves treasures. The guy felt that whatever came to him was for him only. He did nothing but hoard it for himself. Tragic loss. I want to be generous. And I can't be generous and I can't give if I take everything that I have and put it on myself. And there's two types of Jesus followers here right now. One type is you've given faithfully for years generously for years, and this is not only a habit for you, this is worship to God from you. And another follower of Jesus is this, you've experienced struggles with giving. You want to give, you have a heart that says, man, I want to do that, but you just can't live up to what your heart really wants you to do. You find it completely impossible. And there's a common thread with people who give generously and regularly. The common thread is this, they're free and they don't see what they have to be theirs only. 
They don't consider themselves the owners. They consider God to be the owner. God owns everything, the house, the car, the career, the Beanie Baby collection, the kids. I remind you again, normal money management looks like this. We spend 98%, we save 2%, and we give 2%. Not normal money management looks like this. We give 10%, we save 10%, we spend 80%. And some of y'all are like, I've been doing the 10, 10, 80 thing for years. And to you, I would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe it's time to add a percent next year to the giving part. Just add a percent. Well, one of the things that challenge us and our family, I said that we've done this for years, is when we look at what we have coming in and we look at what's been going out over the last year and we ask the question, can we pick up this next missionary? Do we feel like God's telling us to do this right here? Some of you are like, you know what, I'm, I'm really, I don't want to let people know this. I'm not going to raise my hand if the preacher asks. But I've been living under that 98-2-2 thing. And some of you are like, man, 10-10-80 is a dream. I can't get there. Well, what step could you take? Could, could you go 95, spend? 3% giving, 2% saving? Could, could, you just, could, could this be a long obedience in the same direction for you? Could you get to a place where your discipline caught up with your heart? Here's the thing, our church, we, we, we work to do this every year. Our Hope Fund, if you're not familiar with the Hope Fund, it's on our website, it's on the app, there's, there's booklets in front of you. If you're not familiar with it, get familiar with it if this is your church. We, we, we said this year we want to raise $125,000 to give out. That's more than 10% of what we planned to bring in for the year. It's, it's, a, it's a big goal. Year to date, we're sitting at about seventy-five dollars to $80,000. We got like two months to get that last 35 40% in. We're, we're shooting for this big goal, and we're going to do it again next year. Because, because we're trying to do this thing to where we're giving regularly outreach to missions, all this stuff. But not only that, what does it look like for a church who saves? Well, we have, we have some investments and we have assets. We have some land. If you're a member, you know about the land that we have. We've been, we're looking at ways that we can save. We're looking at ways to use the assets God's given us. And how's our church doing with spending? Well, I'll tell you what. Every church in the nation was affected by COVID-19. Do y'all remember that thing? It changed everything. Some of y'all have had it recently. It changed everything. And, and, and you know what? Our church, our spending, we are working hard. We are constantly, our treasurer Charlie is sitting over here. And like, I, if you could see just the constant back and forth, we are constantly looking at our margin and we're constantly looking. I see Tracy over here, our executive administrator. She is looking at different bids we can get to reduce costs. We are constantly making cuts. We are constantly looking at ways not to cut corners on how we do services or, or, or what we do, but we are looking to see what can we not pay for anymore that we don't need to pay for. And if you're a part of AFA, you're constantly given the opportunity to be a part of a church that is working hard to be extravagant in our generosity toward God. And here's my question for you today. When we look at living freely, when we look at living obediently, when we look at living generously, 
which of these things can you work on? Which of these things can you align to be more like Christ in this week, the next month, the next year? Because I believe everybody can do something and can start somewhere. Is it time to pull the trigger and shoot for a 10, 10, 80, or even a 5, 5, 90 plan? Start somewhere. Is it time for you to add 1% to the generosity that God's called you toward? Some of you are like, 10% is way too much. Okay, but how can you start? How can you take a step? Because giving is being like Jesus. Is it time for some of us to even begin with that first step and following?